The angry man's or woman's core view of God is warped by evil and selfish thinking. If you are an angry man or woman and you are a believer in Christ, your view of God is warped by selfish, wicked thinking. Thanks for joining us for this Tuesday edition of Equipping the Saints featuring the Bible teaching of Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, today is Letter Day where we have a chance to hear what our listeners are saying about Equipping the Saints. And Dave, I have a phone comment from Kathy from Texas. She says, I hear you every day and pray for you. This was a wonderful message from Proverbs 3. Such a great blessing. God bless you. Thank you. Well, Kathy, you are so welcome and praise the Lord for his word. What a blessing for us to go through Proverbs. And thank you so much for your prayers and encouragement. It means so much to us. And we are so thankful for all who pray for this ministry. God bless you too, Kathy, and thank you also. And Greg, your message today focuses on the incredible response of Jonah to the salvation of the Ninevites. Yes, it does, Dave. And today we've chosen to take a break from our Colossians passage before we enter into that portion on anger to take a look at anger from the book of Jonah. And boy, we need to learn from this. Let's turn in our Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, if you want to listen to today's broadcast again, just download our new free app from the Apple App Store. You'll find today's broadcast, archive broadcasts, as well as more about this ministry and our teacher, Pastor Greg Lundstedt. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. Well, I don't know if you've watched the news lately or watched any TV. I don't suggest it in that sense, but if you have... There certainly seems to be a lot of commercials on depression and medications that can be helpful to those who are depressed. It seems like there's a lot of people, at least seems like statistically speaking, in America that are depressed. It seems like there's a lot of children, they say, that are depressed, and there's a lot of people on drugs these days because of depression. Now, within the world, it's understandable that people are depressed. If you don't know Christ... Life is not going to work out right because you don't know the Lord. You are living in the context of death, and you're going to get angry and you're going to get depressed. That's no doubt. But one of the things we're seeing these days is within the church, many people who are depressed. Many people who are on medication for depression or whatever it might be. And today I want to look in a passage where we're going to see one of God's people who is depressed to the point of wanting to die. But we're going to see within that depression that Jonah was not just depressed, he was angry. And we're going to see the core of anger, we're going to see the the heart of anger, so that we might be convicted and we might learn and we may not be like those who do not know God. So with that in mind, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. And we're going to be really answering the question, do you have any good reason to be angry? And within that context, I believe that the first four verses today of Jonah, chapter 4, is going to help us avoid the deadly consequences of being angry. First of all, I want to review the context of the book of Jonah. We've been going through a wonderful book 
I've been greatly blessed in my study as I've seen God's hand with his disobedient prophet disciplining him and turning him to be obedient. I've been greatly blessed as I studied today's passage in which Jonah still has got some problems and God does not stop working on him. And we see these things are for our instruction that we might not crave evil things, that we might not go the way that those in Israel, including Jonah, did at this time. The book of Jonah is a true story. It is about a real prophet, 2 Kings 14. It's not, as I've shared, a fish story or an allegory. It is most important to note that the Lord Jesus Christ himself affirmed the book of Jonah as being a true story as he declared that the men of Nineveh would rise up against the generation which was going to ultimately crucify Christ and reject him, and they would stand in the judgment because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. He used the truth of Jonah being in the belly of the whale, the great fish, three days and three nights, as a type to what he would do as he would be in the ground three days and three nights. Now the book of Jonah, in the context, we need to recognize there's two threads running that we need to understand, contextually speaking, that Israel being God's people was disobedient and they were on the road to God's great discipline. And the Ninevites, which we see in the book of Jonah, were not God's people, and they were on the road to God's judgment. Now, Jonah was written sometime around 793 B.C. to 758 B.C. during the reign of Jeroboam II, one of the northern kings of the northern ten tribes. If you'll remember, the kingdom was split because of Solomon's sin, and God was gracious to David, so he didn't split it till after Solomon died. We had the northern tribes, the southern tribes, the northern tribes having wicked kings all the way through and ultimately being exiled by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom having basically wicked kings with a godly king every once in a while, ultimately being exiled as we saw in the book of Ezekiel. It was in the late 500s. But we have here a nation that is spiraling towards discipline. Now Jonah's name means dove. He was called a prophet and he was called God's servant in 2 Kings 14. Now again, Nineveh at this time, they were a bloody people. They were a wicked people. Just historically speaking, they were probably one of the most brutal oppressors of those they would conquer. They were the superpower of the day. And they were known for their brutal wickedness. And it would be Nineveh who God would use to bring discipline upon the northern kingdoms. Now Nineveh, as we saw in Nahum chapter 3, and we're not going to review that you can look on your own time, But we saw they were a bloody city. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, a bloody city full of lies and spiritual harlotry. They influenced the nations, including Israel. Now, just to give you an overview of the book, Israel is spiraling towards discipline. Nineveh is spiraling towards judgment. And then that's where Jonah comes in. We have in chapter 1, Jonah is commanded by the Lord to go to Nineveh and to declare against it because of their wickedness, to declare a message of judgment against them. And Jonah, as you know the story, as we've shared it, he goes the opposite way. He goes to Joppa. He gets on a ship. He goes on his way to Tarshish. But God does not allow him to get far, and he sends a great storm, God's discipline on his people a storm in which everyone on the ship is about to perish, and the pagans call on their gods, plural. And then they try to discern in their pagan understanding why this calamity has come upon them. 
chapter 1. And they cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. So the captain goes down and wakes Jonah up, who is sleeping in this storm. The boat is about to go under. And he queries him, how could he sleep in the midst of this? And ultimately they find out as they query Jonah through 20 questions that he is one who fears Yahweh, the maker of the sea and land. And they, by the way, are out on the sea and the sea is about to bring them to perish. Now things get worse and Jonah says, well, just throw me over and it'll stop. But the sailors don't do it. They want to save Jonah. They actually have more compassion for life than Jonah does. And at that point, the most wonderful thing happens. These sailors get saved. They throw Jonah overboard and they get saved. They call out to the sovereign Lord of the universe and they worship him. They give him honor. Now at this point, the sailors are saved and the sea becomes calm and Jonah is going down and the scripture says he is swallowed by a great fish. It could be a whale, it could be whatever. It's just a term for a sea creature in a general sense in the Hebrew language. A large sea creature. And then we looked at chapter 2 where we saw what the depths of discipline look like and we saw the fruit of discipline in Jonah's life. As Jonah prayed from the belly of the fish, he's in the fish praying and he recounts a prayer when he was going down. Chapter 2, he's dying. If you read that prayer, he is about to die. And he recounts that prayer and he thanks the Lord and gives him glory and decides to trust the Lord and obey him ultimately. Decides to obey the Lord in the midst of the belly of the fish. And at that point, the fish vomits him up on dry land the end of chapter 2. And then we have chapter 3. Jonah has initially responded to God's discipline. He is willing to obey at this point, although his heart is not right, as we will see. And he goes to Nineveh, this long journey, as we saw last week, chapter 3. And we saw what true repentance looks like. We saw repentance in the life of Jonah. We saw repentance in the Ninevites. When they heard the word of God, the Ninevites believed in God. And we saw the evidence of that repentance. They humbled themselves before God. They called out to Him. They turned from their wicked ways to seek the Lord. And the most amazing thing happened, the Ninevites, this huge city of probably more than a half a million people, it says in chapter 4, which we'll see next week, there was more than 120,000 little ones who didn't know their left from their right. So there was a massive amount of people, and we have the greatest revival ever seen thus far on the earth through the preaching of Jonah. And Jonah's preaching was concerning the judgment of God and that convicted them of their sin and they cried out to the one and only true God. And then we saw that God was a gracious God and when he saw that they had turned from their wicked ways, he relented. God turned from what he said he would do to the Ninevites. What a wonderful truth that God does declare the judgment of those who are in their sin. But if they would repent and trust and believe in him, he will relent and turn. And he did. And we have the men of Nineveh, the Lord Jesus, saying they would rise up and declare in the judgment because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And this leads us to our passage today where we come to chapter 4. A disturbing chapter that ends with a question. A chapter that doesn't seem to fit right. It doesn't bring us to a conclusion, but I think as we go through it, we will see that it brings us right where God wants us to be as we look at the life 
of Jonah. So would you turn with me to Jonah chapter 4? And we're going to see and have the question answered, do we have any good reason to be angry? And I think we should learn how to avoid the deadly consequences of anger in the believer's life. Now, the first thing I think we need to realize as we look at this passage is that the angry man's or woman's core view of God is warped by evil and selfish thinking. If you are an angry man or woman and you are a believer in Christ, your view of God is warped by selfish, wicked thinking. But before you run out in anger, remember the Lord God is gracious and He confronts us in this so that we would not be this way. And we'll see that in the Scriptures. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. This is an amazing set of verses considering what happened in chapter 3. This is a stunning set of verses which gives us an incredible example on how dangerous twisted thinking is in the life of someone who knows the Lord. First of all, we're going to see the outward cause of Jonah's anger. We're going to see the thing that precipitates what goes on on the inside. It says in verse 1, but it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. What greatly displeased Jonah? It's what happened in Nineveh, right? He says, but in contrast to what just happened, verse 5 of chapter 3, then the people of Nineveh believed in God. They called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and issued a proclamation And it said in Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. Both the man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly that each man may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. True repentance. They knew God was angry at them for their sin, and they turned from that sin to God and believed in Him. It says, when God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He had declared that He would bring on them, and He did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. We have a stunning statement here. The greatest revival, the greatest move of God concerning salvation the earth has ever seen greatly displeased Jonah. Now I need to give you a translation of this which I believe is more accurate to the original language. 
And it's unfortunate that so many versions don't see it this way. The Young's literal translation does, which is not always the best translation, but they do translate it this way. I'm going to translate it literally to you because I think it is very important for how to understand this book, as I'll share it later. You could literally say it, but it was evil. Ra'ah, the word for evil in Hebrew. It was evil to Jonah. The salvation of the Ninevites to Jonah was evil. And then it even says a great evil. And he burned towards it. It was a ra'ah. It was a gadol ra'ah. It was a great evil to Jonah. And it says he became angry, or literally means he became hot. Became furious. Now each one of us knows what anger is like, right? We've all been angry at some time. We understand that emotion. Jonah got mad. He got angry. And why? Because the salvation of the Ninevites to Jonah was evil. But it was evil to Jonah. Folks, Jonah is messed up. And in this picture of a messed up prophet, we are graciously given insight because God is so gracious to give us these examples that we would not crave evil things, that we would not be like this. And within this story, I believe God sovereignly is giving us insight into the heart of anger. Why do we get angry? And we'll talk about anger in a minute. What is behind anger, really? Well, first of all, we need to ask the question, is anger a sin? Many people would quote Ephesians 4.26 to say it's not a sin, and let's look at that. If you'd hold in Jonah and move to Ephesians 4, we're going to take a look at that. The Apostle Paul is sharing the truth to the church at Ephesus concerning how we are to behave in Christ with the renewed mind. We're not to be thinking like the Gentiles think, chapter 4, verse 17. We're to be putting off those things and putting on Christ. And then he gives a list of examples on how we are to do this. And he says in Ephesians 4.26, Be angry, orge, be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Okay, you can be angry for a moment without sin, right? That's valid here, right? But sometimes, you know, there's certainly situations where evil and sin arouse us to anger. We see wickedness and there may be that momentary anger towards that wickedness and sin, whether it may have been something that we did that was wrong and sinful or someone else did. And there's that momentary lapse where we become angry. But he says, be angry and do not sin. But the command here we see is do not sin which means there is the great possibility within that anger that you are going to sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun, second command, go down on your par or gizmos. Be angry or gay. Do not let the sun go down on your par or gizmos. The alongside anger, just being irritated. If by nightfall you are irritated, you are alongside anger, then you are going to sin. If it hasn't gone down by nighttime, this phrase, don't let the sun go down, don't go to bed without having resolved this issue. And he says, and another command, and do not, it's a command, folks, to believers, do not give the devil an opportunity. Don't give Satan a place. It's a tupon, a place. If you want Satan, the enemy of your soul, the enemy of God, 
one who is a murderer and a liar at heart to have a place, then stay angry and stay irritated. And what kind of place does Satan get in an angry person? The kind of place that we see all the time where thinking is just not right, where it's not biblical, it's satanic, it's worldly, it's earthly, natural, and as James would say, demonic. It may be as simple as evaluating things within your own wisdom. That's satanic. Rather than what God says. But whatever it is, you give Satan a place. If you are even irritated by the time you go to bed concerning possibly this righteous anger. He's not validating unrighteous anger here at all. Now, so many believers are in disobedience to this command and gives our arch enemy a place by simply being angry or irritated. You've been bought with a great price. You have no right to stay angry. You can't handle it. Whatever the situation, you need to forgive. And folks, if you want to validate your anger in verse 26, I find that often someone who'd say, well, here's why I can be angry, verse 26. They don't read down to verse 31. Let's go down to verse 31 in Ephesians 4. Let all, all, that's all, bitterness and wrath, thumos and anger, orge, and clamor and slander be put away from you. Every bit, put it away. Take it off like a dirty rag as we would see in Scripture. Set it aside. Say no to it. Put on Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Renew your mind in Christ. You didn't learn Christ in this way. That's not the way you are. Let it be put away. So Scripture is also clear that in James, as we see, that the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Your anger is not going to accomplish anything concerning God's righteousness. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on it. Why? You give Satan a place. You give Satan, the devil, an opportunity in your life. You will be a manifestation of his will in your life and others. If you do this, it's really, really dangerous. Don't do it. So back to our passage, Jonah chapter 4. But it was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and he burned towards it. Jonah's a messed up prophet at this point. We saw earlier he was the world's worst missionary where he went the wrong way. And now we see he was given an opportunity to preach the truth concerning the Lord. And ultimately they repent the greatest revival ever. And to Jonah, he's angry. This is the external trigger point that gets Jonah hot. And Jonah gets hot with these things on the outside. Later on, he's going to get hot and angry because God lets that plant die. And something outside of Jonah gets him hot on the inside. Ninevites get saved, he's hot. Plant dies, he's hot. Is this not the case for all of us? It's something outside of us that triggers an internal response, some type of circumstance or situation or person or whatever it is. Things don't work out the way we want, we get angry. Someone says something we don't like, we get angry. I was treated bad in my childhood, we get angry. Finances, family, health, whatever it is, I'm angry. All these things may be true. But the question is, are they evil?
If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Well, Greg, the contrast of God's goodness and mercy against the burning anger of Jonah is quite mind-boggling. It really is. And when we read this, you know, it's easy for us to point our fingers at Jonah and, and shake our head in disbelief. But the fact is we often do the same thing Jonah does. When things don't go our way, we get angry, and that places us in the same shoes as Jonah. And my challenge to you today is simply this. When circumstances in life don't go your way or when things get tough, choose to see them as coming through the hand of a good God who loves you and wants the very best for your life. He wants to make you like his son, and he's doing that through these difficult circumstances. As we close today's broadcast, it's our prayer that the Word of God has done its work in your life and that you've been challenged and encouraged to follow Christ more closely. If you'd like a complimentary CD of today's broadcast, call us toll-free at 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Well, we hope you'll make plans to join us again tomorrow, right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a broadcast ministry of Equipping Bible Church. Yeah.